I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. Before I teach, I want to show you a couple of things. I'm known for being extremely controversial. I'm controversial because I believe the church is apostate. It has literally fallen away from the truth. That's the word falling away in the second chapter of Second Thessalonians. Apostasis is the word falling away. It means a removal of the daily cross or removal of standing upright. I teach that Christmas is pagan. I teach that Easter is pagan. I teach that God does not love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born. I teach that he creates evil. And I, that's the subject of our message. Uh, I was sent this cartoon. Mary told me about it. And, uh, and it was sent by Joe DeMars. And it's about uh, Charlie Brown. Um, that was one of my nicknames when I was in high school, Charlie Brown. And it's about the same thing. I keep this, this is one of my favorite uh, pictures on the Internet. It was a picture I had, and I had it colored up like this, like so, and then I had it put on the screen here. It shows a third world person dreaming of a bowl of rice, starving to death. Then it shows a little kid in America dreaming about bicycles and ball bats and and internets and little toy cars and skateboards and footballs. And that's what he's dreaming he'll get. And this person over here is dreaming they'll get Christmas. They'll get a bowl of rice. Christmas, I don't know why preachers can't see this. Christmas, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A. Yes. I thought about that when I was 12 years old. And I saw that. I thought, is this Christ mass? That's exactly what it is. That's Roman Catholicism. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. Whether you like it or not, that's historical fact. Somebody sent me this cartoon. I really love this. It shows you that in the secular world, there's some people that know the truth. It's about Charlie Brown. It shows Charlie Brown and Linus on this stage. It's got all these little squares. First, Charlie Brown is saying, got his hands in there saying, isn't anyone, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is about? And then Linus says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then either Charlie Brown or Linus says, lights, please. They turn on the lights in the stage. They're, they're on a stage. And this is what Linus says. He tells them the truth about Christmas. He says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest. This is Linus reading the 10th chapter of Jeremiah. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. Jeremiah 10, 1 through 4. And then Linus walks off the stage. And he comes back to Charlie Brown. And he says, 
It's pagan holiday, Charlie Brown. How's that? <laughs> the, I'm sure that Schultz didn't do this because he's been dead for years. Whoever wrote this Charlie Brown comic, they told the truth about Christmas. That's why God scattered Israel all over the world by Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome because they went after Bell in the Grove, which later on was renamed Christ's Mass. I think that's great. I've been talking to you about God creating evil. And God creating evil has to do with our lives. God God creates evil. Part 8. I've done, this will be eight messages we've done on God creating evil. Now, if you don't think God created evil, let me ask you, should I burn these and destroy all these eight messages? And this is not going to be the end of it. There's only two subjects in the Bible. Good and evil. Now, this word evil, people say, isn't there another word for evil in the Bible, no, no, no. There's two words. There is the word ra'ah, R-A-A-H, R-A-A-H, ra'ah, and it is a verb, R-A, excuse me, R-A-A, and then the word ra. R-A is the noun form of the word ra'ah, that's a verb. There's only one word. When God says, I make peace and create evil, it's this word right here. This is out of what you call the, uh, this is the theological word book of the Old Testament by Walkie Archer and uh, Gleason Archer and Walkie and Harris. Great set of books. And here's what they say about the evil that God creates. The essential meaning of the root can be in its frequent juxtaposition with the word tobe or tove. It's in juxtaposition. It's exactly opposite T-O-B or sometimes it's spelled T-O-W-B. And every time God would say that it is good, he said it seven times in the first chapter of Genesis. It's this word, and it is in opposition. It lies opposite to evil, good and evil. This means beneficial. It would be, it would be a, a synonym for, for the New Testament word, uh, Agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. And we know that all things work together for Agathos, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I told you this the last time I preached. When the Bible says, and we know that all things together work together for good, and is a coordinating conjunction. There are conjunctions. A conjunction joins either two sentences, two sentences or two th- 
thoughts together. It can be an independent thought or it can be a dependent thought. Dependent means it is it is dependent on the other thought. Jim went to the store and bought a loaf of bread. Well, that bought a loaf of bread would be a dependent thought because it's depending on Jim going to the store. But if I said Jim went to the store and he bought a loaf of bread, you got two independent thoughts. Because Jim went to the store is one thought, he bought a loaf of bread is another thought. So that would be coordinate, that would be coordinating, coordinating conjunction. And, and you've got a subordinate conjunction. Subordinate. I gave you this last time. Subordinate conjunction would be for whom he did for no, for whom. And for being a coordinating conjunction, it is connecting what has been said, been said with what's about to be said, to be said. So for whom depends on. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good. And I said this the last time, all things working together for good goes back to the previous verses, which talking about our groaning. And groan is the word stenazo. Stenazo, and it is a form of the word stenos. Stenos is the noun, stenazo is the verb. And it has to do with all the groaning that you're going through and all these things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate. Predestinate, prohorizo, is about the groaning that we're going through and what God is doing, he's getting rid of the carnal man from the previous chapter. The carnal man that Paul talks about in Romans 7, 25. Paul says all through that 7th chapter, I've, I've the things that I do is not what I want to do, But it's not me, it's sin that dwelleth in me. And he tells us he's got an inner man. That's what Romans 8, 29 and 30 is about. Romans 8, 28 is about all this groaning that we're going through is to get rid of this outer man. Paul says in Romans 7, 25 that the outer man serves the law of the flesh. And the inner man serves the law of God. So what Romans 8, 29 and 30 has to do with the previous chapter. The inner and the outer man. The inner man is Christ in you. But only the people that have the new birth of the inner man, inner man, only those people have the outer man and the inner man. That's the new birth of Christ in you. And the outer man 
serves the law of the flesh. Law of flesh. What's the law of the flesh? I want that car. I want that woman. I want that house. I don't want that money. I don't want that job. That's the outer man. That's what he lives for. And over the years, God puts us through fire, trials, and tribulation. And our family hates us for believing the truth. And he causes us, after years of living for ourselves, as you get older, the outer man reduces. And he even speaks of the carnal man. He said the carnal man in Romans 8, he says the carnal man, carnal is the word Sukikos. L. P. S. U. C. H. I. K. I mean, excuse me, not Sukikos, that's, that's self. Sarkikos, S. A. R. K. I. K. O. S. That's carnal in the word S. A. R. X, which comes from this. It's a, it's the form of this word. Sarks is the word flesh. So carnal means a fleshly man. So what's God's doing in that seventh chapter? Paul's telling you, when I do the things that I would not, it's I that do it, but that's that fleshly man that lives in me. So God puts us through all these fire and trials and tribulation to burn out the carnal man. And it takes years that's why when older people, the Bible says the gray-haired man is his glory. When you get gray hair and you've lived long enough as a believer, you don't want to do the things you want to do. You don't want, you don't like that carnal man no more. But you don't get completely rid of all of him. When you get real old like me, I'll be 83 in May, you have a thin veneer of that out, that man out there. People say, you're trying to say that we got sin in us. You mean you're living in a body and you don't sin? You got, we got sin in us. We've been made perfect. Perfect, perfect never does mean without sin. Perfect is the word teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. When the Bible says be therefore perfect, it doesn't mean without sin. It's the word mature or complete. Mature. Grow up and be a man. That's what we're supposed to be. And that doesn't happen easy. Self dies hard. God has to put you through divorce, through persecution, tribulation. People want to destroy you. And they really want to destroy you when God matures you enough to say, I give up, Lord. I actually did that, said, Lord, I surrender. I was in my mid-40s. I've been preaching since I was young, since I was 22. I've been studying the Bible since I was 17. But I really surrendered when God dealt with me. And that's what He has to do. When we talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel, that's all about the time period that God's dealing with Israel because they went after Baal and the grove. Baal and grove. All of this, anybody who's a believer, God's got to deal with you just like He dealt with Israel. He carried them away into captivity. All of the good in us, which is the inner man, has to have a, has to put a lot of fire on the outer man. And God does that. God creates evil in our lives to bring out good in us. I always like to put these concentric circles. This is the way God does it. 
This is all fire and trials and tribulation, the concentric circles, till he takes over most of your body when you get old. And he makes you come to a point. There were things that I wanted when I was young. I do not want now. I wanted fame and fortune. I've noticed that all the people famous when I was young, you know what happened to them? They're dead. All of them. They've died. I had some people do me wrong in gospel music. And God kills them in his time. That's what he did. I could name them. I won't do that. It just, it's just, when you get older, you want less things in the flesh than you wanted when you were young. And you begin to realize, I have to suffer these things because that's the way God made it. I want to give you some verses, and then I'm going to go back to David. But I want to give you some verses first on how God, God's evil is connected to good. The good is Christ in you. The Bible says, let me give it to you again. 1 John 1 and 8. If we say we have no sin, talking about the outer man, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the same book, 1 John 3 and 9, same writer, said that whosoever is born of God, the inner man, doth not sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Well, what about this outer man? What's going to happen to him? That's this body we live in. God's going to change our bodies and give us brand new bodies that can't sin when he comes to take us out of here. But we can't stop. When you believe you can sin, I've had people say, I read that seventh chapter of of Romans, and I didn't understand it. You know, most people don't understand it because it's talking about this man here. The outer man, when you're born again with the inner man. You can, I didn't even go through all these chapters with you. You can see Paul talking about in Colossians 3. Colossians 3. He talks about put on the inner man. Put on is the word E-N-D-U-O. And duo means to sink into clothing. What is our clothing as a believer? The Bible says, God hath made our robes white. White is always a picture of righteousness. Robes white. This is in the seventh chapter of Revelation. Robes white. In the blood of Christ. Well, that's the blood baptism, isn't it? That's our clothing. Sinking into this clothing. And when you see here in Colossians 13, Colossians 3, he talks about putting off the outer man and putting on the inner man. He says the same thing in Ephesians 4. He does the same thing again in 2 Corinthians the fourth chapter, he says the same thing basically in in Romans, the sixth chapter, he talks about putting on this outer man. How long does it take you to sink into the clothing of Christ? The Bible says as many viewers have been baptized into Christ cannot be talking about water. 
Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27. As many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And that word put on is the same word in duo. So that has to be a blood baptism. That's the same thing that Jesus said to James and John in Mark 10. Can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He was saying, I'm going to die tomorrow, the next day. Can you have that baptism? They said yes, and he said you will. A blood baptism, I've never heard a preacher even say this. If they say this, they're going to have to deal with their baptistry. That a blood baptism was a martyrdom. It was a death. That's what drinking a cup was. It was a death. So, I've never heard preachers even deal with that. Let me read some of these verses to you. I'm going to try to get back to all these other verses I've got in Colossians 3. Well, let let me do this first. I didn't even give all this to you. But look over here in Colossians, the third chapter. This is what this is what Israel had to go through. This is what David had to go through because he committed adultery and murder. He had adultery with Bathsheba, and that was Uriah the Hittite's wife. And Uriah the Hittite was one of David's most faithful servants. And he saw his wife on a rooftop and he says I want her but he had to know who she was because her grandfather Ahithophel was his chief counselor she certainly had to come into the palace someday and say where's my grandfather Mr. Ahithophel I don't know what she called him Ahithophel or whatever but look here in Colossians I just want to show you this I'm going to try to get back to my my subject with David But look here in Colossians. And I'll just read. I'll just read a little bit out of it. And then I'll come back and explain it to you more later. Colossians, the third chapter. And he's talking about Paul doesn't have to say inner man and outer man every time he says it. But he says here in verse 5. Mortify therefore in your members. What he's saying is kill off the outer man. Mortify. Necro. N-E-K-R-O-O. Necro. We think of necromancy as talking to the dead. Necro means kill off. Kill off this outer man. How long does it take you to kill off the outer man? You won't do it. God will put you through so much fire, so much depression, so much pain and anguish. When If he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, how do you become sorrowful and acquainted with grief? By experience. By Ecclesiastes one eighteen says, In much grief is much sorrow. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth his grief. So you have to become knowledgeable. You have to become experienced. You'll become sorrowful when you, the more you know. And much knowledge is much grief. And he that increaseth uh, knowledge increases sorrow. 
and much wisdom is much grief. The wiser you get, the more knowledge you have, the more you learn, the more grieved you become, and you become like Paul and like me right now. I have a desire to part and be with Christ. But it's more needful for the church that I remain for your strength. I think all the time, Lord, the reason I don't want to go back and sin, I have people writing say, you've been an example to me. I do not want to disappoint people by not being the kind of example I'm supposed to be. I don't want to disappoint God, but I don't want to disappoint people that are looking at me. And he says, mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth... Fornication, that's the outer man. But fornication doesn't just mean literal fornication, sleeping with a woman or a man. It's talking about spiritual fornication as well. When Paul said Babylon was the mother of harlots, mother is the word, the word harlot, pornea, means idolatry or fornication. Spiritual idolatry is fornication. Uncleanness, that's the outer man. Inordinate affection, that's the outer man. Evil concupiscence, that's the outer man. Covetousness, which is idolatry, that's the outer man also. Boy, it takes a long time to get put, to put on. It does, you don't get rid of all of this all of a sudden one day. I got saved and I don't want to sin no more. Then you're saying you don't have an outer man and you're already physically dead. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. The children that belong to him when they're disobeying him. In which we all walk sometime, which we lived in them. But now you also put off, put off, put off. That's, that's the opposite of putting on. Put off anger, wrath, malice blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man, that's the outer man, with his deeds, and have put on, in duo, the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then he goes into telling you what you have to put on. To put on the inner man. And he says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. Put on in duo. This this is all about the same thing with David. God had to God had to arrange that David would have this affair. God arranged it with Bathsheba everything he does everything the good the evil he said I make peace and create evil I the Lord do all these things he said holy beloved holy hagios pure single that means God's got to put you through a lot of fire to burn out the desire for self <laughs> bowels of mercy splanknon that means it comes from, they call it the spleen. That means whenever you see somebody, you have a real merciful feeling. You see a little dog run over, you see an animal suffering, and you say, boy, I hate that. And you have that kind of feeling coming from your spleen, your bowels. Kindness, crestatos, it's connected to the word. It comes from the same word as anoint. Anoint. 
and were anointed with truth. Humbleness of mind, that word tepanosophrene, humbleness comes from the word humble, it means to level self. Meekness, this is what you got to put on when you're putting on the inward man. How long does it take you to learn to be merciful and kind and gentle and beloved and long-suffering? Long-suffering, macrothemia, means to suffer a long time before you lose it. And then forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against anyone, as Christ forgave you, so also do you. You don't give out free forgiveness. You rebuke a man, and if he repent, forgive him. So that's just part of it. All of this is arranged by God, the good and the evil. You say, boy, that makes us robots. That's right. What do you do to a robot? A man makes a robot, and then he programs into the robot what he wants, the programs he wants it to do. God births us with this inner man, and then he writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts. That's our programming. And a a robot has to have a power source. What is the power source of God? The scourge. He said, I scourge every son I receive with all this trial and tribulation and fire. I scourge every son I receive. Scourge is the word mastigao, M-A-S-T-I-G-O-O. And it, that is the noun. And then the verb form is mastix, M-A-S-T-I-X. And that was a whip. It was a whip. It wasn't the scourge of the Jews. It was a Roman scourge. And it had pieces of glass and bone all through it. And that's what Jesus received before he went to the cross. Has all that in it. And so what we have to do, he beats us till we want to give up that outer man. And the most amazing thing, when God put me in the hospital, he beat me for years with sickness. I'm very, I am basically a well-mannered 82. I'll be 83 soon. I'm basically a well man. I was dying at 45 in a hospital. Didn't believe I'd live past 50. I mean, I was dying. Mary thought I was dying. My son Eric thought I was dying. People came to the hospital thought I was. I had to turn myself around. I had to quit stressing over anything. I don't stress over anything anymore, and I don't get mad at anybody. I stay depressed all the time looking out at the world thinking... They don't believe God, but they're not supposed to believe God, and they're supposed to get angry at me and mistreat me. But I realize that's God working through them. That's where it's supposed to be. I'll go through these other inner and outer men later. That inner and outer man is one of the most important things to learn in the Bible. Read that in Ephesians, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. He'll say, put on. That's the word in duo. Read it in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Put on. He'll talk about the inner and the outer man. We are we are a combination of the two. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Self. Why do you think Jesus said, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself"? Because we got self in us, right there. The outer man. Why did he say, as soon as he left? the seventh chapter of Romans and goes into the eighth chapter 
Why do you think he said, let me show you this, Romans, the seventh chapter. And he says here, in the seventh chapter, well, he says all through here, if you start up there in verse 15, and that which I do, present tense, it means, uh, it means it's happening right now, poeo. I allow not. What I do is not what I want to do because that's the outer man. And what I would, that's the inner man, I don't do that. That's, I do not. That's what I really want to do, what the inner man instructs me, but I, I love my flesh. And then he says, verse 16, If then I do that which I would not, then I consider unto the law that it is good. I I end up condemning myself under the law. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin, the outer man that dwells in me. And then he says, the next verse, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, the outer man dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I don't know how to do it. He said, I'm fighting that outer man every day for the good that I would. What I really want to do, I don't do. That's because I got this outer man in me. And he says that in the 25th verse of this chapter. And the evil which I don't want to do, I would not. That's what I do. That's the outer man. And if I do that which I would not, I don't really want to do. It's no more I that do it, but sin that that lives in me. That word dwelleth is a form of oikos. It means it's housed in me. It's housed in me. And he says in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Your arms, your eyes, your ears, what you see, what you feel. O wretched man that I am, it actually says in the original text, O wretched man, it is me. Is is present tense. That's what it says. Who shall deliver me from this body of this death? That's a dead man dragging that I'm dragging around. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. That's the inner man. But with the flesh, the law of sin. So he says, I got an inner man and an outer man. And then he says... There is, there is, therefore, therefore is a conjunction. It's a, it's a coordinating conjunction. It's going to connect with what's been said and what's going to be said. And then he says over here in verse 7. Well, let us read six through, 5 through 7. For they that are after the flesh, the outer man. We're still talking about Romans 7 in the chapter 8. For they that are after the flesh, the outer man, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the inner man, the things of the spirit. 
For to be carnally minded, that's the outer man from the previous chapter, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Then he says in verse 7, But the carnal mind, that's the outer man. When you get down to all things working together for good and worse, in verse 28, he's talking about destroying this carnal outward man. That's, you can't teach Romans eight twenty nine and 30 or 8, 28, 29, and 30. You can't teach that without teaching chapter 7. It's about God conforming us to his likeness. For it is not subject, the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, which is the inner man. This is not subject to the inner man. That's why when he comes back, he's going to have to give us a new body. All this world does, it wants to sin. It loves the flesh. I'm glad to be 82. 35 was the most frustrating thing in the world in my life. 30, just kill me. I, I was trying to do things I was never going to be able to do. Tried to be famous and rich. Wasn't going to happen. It's not going to happen to the elect of God. We're elected to obey God. Elect obedience, First Peter 1 and 2. That's where we're elected to. And the sprinkling of blood, that's a blood baptism. That's death to self. You can't be a famous singer and be death to self. No way. You can't be a famous actor and have death to self. None of those people in Hollywood are going to heaven. You ever hear any of them talking about a daily cross? Death to self, self-denial. Oh, they say that, what's his name, that uh, guy that was married to... Jolie, uh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. He was a Southern Baptist. He sure acted like one, doesn't he? He do do act like one, Brad, because they're heathens too, just like you are. Just foolish. Do I believe any of them? Do I believe Hollywood is going to heaven? No, 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 no. I never heard Elvis talk about a daily cross and death to self, or Michael Jackson talk about death to self. And self-denial, did you? Or did you hear any of them say, we must do much tribulation enter the kingdom of God? Never heard it myself. And then he says, the carnal mind is enmity against God. You're not in the flesh. That's the outer man. But in the spirit, that's the inner man. We just came out of chapter 7. God doesn't, these were all in scrolls. They just opened it up. There was no chapter headings. There wasn't a chapter 7, verse 1. There wasn't a chapter 8, verse 1. Those weren't in the text. It was all on the scrolls. So the chapter, you're talking about predestination. You're talking about the inner and the outer man. You're talking about God destroying the outer man, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen easy. Self, the outer man dies hard. He don't want to give up himself. But you that are in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, that's the inner man from verse 25 of the previous chapter. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When the Pentecostals talk about the second work of grace is getting the Holy Ghost. No, you have that. When God births himself in you, that's the inner man. Problem is, we got that outer man that we fight every day, and it takes tribulation and fire 
The trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience, and let patience have its perfect work. God's killing off self. That's what he's doing. I'm sure glad this is going out across the world. I hope you people are listening out there. Self has to die. Nobody knows that more than me. Boy, I wanted to be. I had one of the biggest tenor voices you ever heard. I could just knock the walls out standing in an auditorium. And God had to take that away from me. God will give you a, God will give you a talent or some gift that he'll have to take away from you when you would put that first. And then he says down here in verse 14, one of my favorite verses of this chapter, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, the inner man, they are the sons of God. You have to be led. People that talk about sons of God being something else other than the inner man, they have no idea what they're talking about. Now, so you have to connect... All these things, all this groaning works together that we go through because God is destroying the outer man. And there's going to be nothing but the inner man left except you'll have a like a thin veneer when you get old like me. I'm ashamed of everything I've ever done outside of truth. I have lived a terrible life. If you don't have any shame, you're not repentant, you're not going to heaven. I've heard, bad as I hate to have said, I heard my father say numerous times, I'm not ashamed of anything I've ever done. I've watched him lose his temper, pull guns on people, pull ball bats on people, pull hammers on people, and you're not ashamed of that. Then God's never dealt with your heart. All right. Now let me give you, so all the evil that God does to our lives goes with the good, the inner man. This man is not going to give up easy. That's the flesh. When you want a fancy car more than your salary can afford and you're willing to work three jobs to get it, you're fulfilling that outer man. When you get to the place you're not interested in Late model. I'm not. I don't care about cars. What I buy. Mary bought the cars that we use. I didn't buy. She bought that Rav Four, brand new, in 2000, and so she drove it for years. Then she decided she wanted a Mini Cooper, and she took some money she had saved from her mother leaving her money. She went out and paid cash for it in 2009. She said, "You drive the." You drive the rabbi. I said, okay. And since she's four foot six and a half, four foot seven, I think it's four, six and a half, something like that. She's really small. And she said, I can't see over the steering wheel of the Mini Cooper. You bought it. She said, you drive the Mini Cooper, and I'll go back to the Rav. The Rav, she can pull, pulls right up the steering wheel, and she can see over the steering wheel. And she can't drive anything but a Rav 4. And I said, okay. So I drove, so I started driving her Mini Cooper. And you know what it rides like? Boom, 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 a sports car. I don't particularly care about driving it, but um, it had, she couldn't drive it for five years, and we had to set it and let it park. 
for five years. It's only got 23,000 miles on it now, and it's a 2009. It's like garage kept. So I started driving. It only had about 12,000 when I started driving it. And uh, But I don't care about cars. I don't care about new cars. I don't care about fancy clothes. I used to. When I walked out of the house every morning to go sell real estate, I looked like I stepped out of a bandbox. My tie would match my rings. My tie would match my leather coat or whatever I had on. I had, I looked like somebody that was ready to go on stage and perform or become a model or something. That's why I dressed. I don't do that anymore. I don't care about it. God has let this inner man in my life take hold of the outer man. Now, I do take showers every, uh, all the time. <laughs> I have to be clean because I can't stand myself if I'm not. But anyway, I want you to understand that evil and good live together. They live together with God. That's what David's life was about. He was a godly man. He was a friend after God's own heart. And God had to... He had to take David. David committed adultery and murder as a believer. People say, was David a believer? Certainly he was. God loved him. You read First and Second Samuel, you know that God loved David. And then he committed adultery and murder. And God made him miserable the rest of, rest of his life. I want to kind of connect the sovereignty of God with this story of David. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that, let's look at that, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14. I love this. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 3 and 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. People don't understand that the word forever in the Hebrew doesn't mean what our word means. Forever to us, it means from now on. Forever is the word O-W. L-A-M. It means it always has been and it always will be. What God is doing has been from forever to forever. If He saves a person, He's always had that in His mind to save exactly who He saves. That goes along with predestination. He quickeneth whomsoever He will. Quicken means to make alive. He makes alive. We're all dead in sin. We have nothing good in us. None understandeth. None seeks after God. If God doesn't put faith in certain people's hearts, nobody's going to heaven. And faith is death to self. It's death of the outer man. Now, that's the word forever. I know the words of our God doeth it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it. Nothing can be put. Put is a word that means to add. Add to it or taken away. Taken away is the word gara. It means shaved off. 
everything that God does, He's always done it, and He always will do it. And what does He do? Well, the Bible says over in in the 15th chapter of Acts that known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. What is everything that He's done? All the good and all the evil. I make peace and great evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And the Bible says, the next verse there says, That which hath been is now. What hath been in the mind of God from forever, from Olam, is going on right now. And that which is to be has already been in the mind of God from forever. So what you're going through has been ordained by God from forever to forever. You can look at the world and say, well, it's not fair. They have everything they want. Well, that's what David said in the 73rd Psalm. I was envious at the wicked when I saw there was no bands in their death. They had all that their eyes could wish for. Their eyes were fat with everything. Fat means the best to the Jew. And David said, I was envious of them until I saw their end. That's in the 73rd Psalm. That which has been is going on now, and that which hath been in God's mind is it's always been, and God requireth it that it is that which is past. That which is in the past that is in his mind, he requires all of it to come about. And he says also over here in Isaiah Isaiah forty six, I've quoted this so many times. Isaiah the forty sixth chapter and the tenth verse. Isaiah 46 and 10. 46 and 10. I'm in Jeremiah. That won't get it. Isaiah. Isaiah 46. Here's what he says. He said it. Let me read a little bit of this. <clears throat> remember the in verse 9. Remember the former things of old, the way things used to be, Israel. Jeremiah's prophes- uh, Isaiah's prophesying their demise and their destruction from the Assyrians that come in from the north. For I am... Remember the former things of old. For I am God. Former means is what they were. Jeremiah is the last prophet in Israel to be prophesying while Nebuchadnezzar is coming in to destroy him. And there is none else. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times everything that's not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand And I'll do everything I want to do. All my pleasure. I'll do everything. The good and the evil. Calling a ravenous bird from the east. The ravenous bird was Assyria. Isaiah's prophesying about northern Israel being destroyed. Jeremiah's prophesying about southern Judah being destroyed. Southern Judah is southern Israel. There's reasons for that I won't go into right now. The man that executeth my counsel, that's the ravenous bird coming from the east. 
That will be Shalmaneser. That will be Sennacherib. That will be uh, all these Assyrian monarchs executing my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. Oh, I love that word spoken, Dabar. It means I have arranged it. In other words, when Assyria comes in and slaughters northern Israel and moves their troops in and is raping and pillaging, God said, I arranged that evil. I arranged it. The word Dabar means to arrange. And it's also a word that means orderly arrangement. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. That's some of the evil that God did to Israel because they went after all these gods, Baal, Grove, Shemash, Molech, uh, all the gods of Egypt, uh, Osiris, Isis, and so forth. Now, now, so that he's declared all the good and the evil. And then Psalm 76 and 10. Turn over there. Psalm 76. This is the evil that God says he will do. He does the evil for our good. What's the good he does in it? He's getting rid of the outer man in our life. He may have to break your neck, break your leg, make you paraplegic, make you quadriplegic, whatever he does to turn your eyes to him. That's what he wills to do. Now, Isaiah 46, Isaiah 76. Go over here to Isaiah 76. And let's look at verse 10. 76. Psalm 76 and 10, not Isaiah. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm looking at something. Psalm 76 and verse 10. Sometimes Mike is my conscience. He has to remind me I'm talking about something else. Psalm 76 and 10. Let's read 9 10. When God rose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah. That means rest in this. Surely the wrath of man will praise God. The word praise is the word yada. Y-A-D-A-H. It will praise. It will revere or worship God. The wrath of man will worship God. The word wrath is chema, C-H-E-M-A-H, C-H-E-M-A-H. It means rage or hate. Man gets heated with rage. God says every bit of that will praise me because I've arranged it. The wrath. I'm sure that word wrath and when it's translated into the Septuagint, is orge. That's the rage that a man has when he's covetous and somebody beats him out of something. It's O-R-G-E, O-R in the Greek, G, Ada. It's feminine gender. It has to belong to man. 
it's feminine because Babylon mothered all harlotry. And Babylon is the mother of idolatry and the mother of rage. So the wrath of man shall praise God and the remainder, remainder is the word shereth, S-H-E-E-R-I-Y-T-H, S-H-E-S-H-E-E-R-I-Y-T-H. It means what's left over, the ritual. The ritual of wrath. Shalt thou restrain. He will stop the part of wrath that doesn't praise him. That's the whole point. He, when man, when we have an evil man on the out of, outside of us, it will praise God in that it will be destroyed by the inner man. And when he destroys it, that's through tribulation and trials and fire, then that will praise God in that he was destroyed. So, the wrath of man will praise God. The remainder, what doesn't praise God, God stops it from happening. You mean man's rage can praise God? Yes. Because God uses that to bring about the inner man. Then he tells us over here in, I want to look at several of these. Look at Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. 21 and 1. God orders everything. He orders our steps. 21 and 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of waters... He turneth the heart of the kings whithersoever he wills. When the king does evil, God turns it that way. When he does good, God turns it that way. He turns Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. He touched their hearts to cause, to let Israel go home. To give decrees that they would go home and rebuild their temple and rebuild their city. They caused that. God says, that's how I dealt with them. He said, it won't be by might nor by power that they'll leave Babylon. It'll be by my spirit, saith the Lord, when I deal with Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes in their minds, in their hearts. God causes everything to happen the way it happens. Then he says in verse 2, Every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Look back here in Proverbs in Proverbs 16. <clears throat> when you don't think God deals with evil man, yes, He does, to do their evil. Here in in 16 and 1, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue that comes out of the heart is from the Lord. No matter if a man's saying evil things or saying good things, it all comes from God. You say, why would God do that? He works all things after the counsel of his own will. He says, I will do this and that's what I want to do. Don't question me. 
People say, well, why would God make one man good and another man evil, Jacob and Esau? And he said, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say in him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power of the clay of the same lump out of Rebekah's womb to make one vessel unto honor Jacob and another unto dishonor Esau? If that's what he wants to do, can he do that? Yeah, he can. I don't, I don't even get people that own a Bible and belong to some free will church reading that chapter at all. I don't even understand there because he said he loved Jacob and Esau, hated Esau before either one were born, before either one had done any good or evil. And that was written in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He said, I love Jacob and hated Esau. I don't know why people don't believe God when they call themselves Christians. Because they don't believe that, do they? And he says in verse 9 of that same chapter, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You say, I'm going this way. He says, no, you're not. And he puts something in your path to make you curve. He puts a car or a person or a woman or lack of money or something to make you turn and go another direction. When you tended to go this way and you can't go anywhere, God don't want you to go. That's astounding to me. Now, I like this verse over here. In, uh, I like a lot of these verses. I like this verse over in Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, 25. 44 and 25. Isaiah. 44 and 25. Talking about God. Well, let's read 24. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb. He said that same word to Jeremiah, the first chapter. He said, I formed thee. He said, I formed thee in the womb. He said, I make you, I've made you righteous from the womb. I've made you where you'll go and preach the truth. He says that from thee in the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things. He makes, he means, when he says that, he means everything, the good and the evil. If there was no evil, what would be the definition for good? If there's no such thing as evil, good would have no definition. If there was no down, there would be no up. If there was no wrath, there would be no mercy. The reason God has to have mercy is because he's got wrath. And then he says, Now I'm the Lord, I do this. I frustrate liars. Frustrate is a word that, it's the word parar, P-A-R-A-R. P-A. R-A-R. Now here's what he means by frustrate. I violate or break up liars. 
I violate them with anything I want to. I violate liars. And I make diviners mad. Diviners is the word called psalm. Do you remember that word? Q-A-C-A-M. That means men who speak smooth words. It's one of the words for smooth. When the people said in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, prophesying this, don't say good things to us. Prophesy deceits. Say smooth words unto us. That word smooth is a form of kosam. So God is saying, these guys that are smooth talkers, they're diviners. Like Billy Graham, Charles Stanley, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes. These guys are liars. Now make diviners mad. Halal. Halal can be a good word or an evil word. Halal means clear. They will be clear enough to be seen for what they are. Or to shine. They will shine in their deception. And halal, we get the word halal. Jah. It's our word hallelujah. It means the shining belongs to Jehovah. Doesn't belong to man. We make a diviners mad that turneth wise men backward. God turns wise men to go against their own wisdom and maketh their knowledge foolish. Now, look at Job 9 and 12. Job 9 and 12. That comes before Psalms. Job 9. I like this. 9 and 12. Behold, God taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say unto God, What are you doing? When you don't like predestination and you hate God loving Jacob and hating Esau, what you're doing is arguing with God. Saying, what are you doing? Loving one and hating the other. God says, that's my business. Don't talk back to me. And the rest of this chapter is talking about he removeth mountains in verse 5, which overturneth them in his anger. Mountains are capital cities of empires which shaketh the earth, in verse 6, out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. This is not the God these preachers are talking about, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. When Jesus walked on waters, he was showing that he was the God of the Old Testament that Job talked about. He doeth great things in finding out, yea, Wonders without number. And people say, why is God doing what he's doing? We'll go over there to Job 33. Job 33. Job 33. And he says, well, of this. Verse 13. Why dost thou strive against God? Verse 13. 33, 13. 
Why do thou strive against him? Speaking of God. He doesn't give any account of his matters to you or I or anybody else. He does things as he pleases. Our God sits in the heavens. He's done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalms 110.3 says, For God speaketh once, and yea, twice, yet twice. Yea, man perceiveth not. In a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon man, and slumbering upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose. If a man decides to do something else besides what he's going to do, that's God that causes him to do that. God is in all of our thoughts. He manipulates our minds. When we speak something, he said, that comes out of our heart and he put it in our heart. You say, man is a robot. Well, I kept saying, you program a robot and God programs our hearts and he uses the scourge to cause us to do what he wants us to do and get rid of that outer man so the inner man can live our life. Living for Jesus, I can tell you this as an old man, living for truth don't ever try to do something you're not capable of doing. I had a great voice, I mean a super voice, but I couldn't fit into the music world. You gotta compromise, you gotta lie, you gotta let people do what they want to do. You gotta let your boss run around on his wife and not say nothing and take drugs and not say nothing. You gotta keep your mouth shut to climb up any ladder, any ladder in the business world or in the in the entertainment world you've got to to climb ladders you have to climb a ladder to be successful but you can't be successful unless you compromise keep your mouth shut my little brother told me that one time he said Jimmy you're always rocking the boat Uh, you're right that's exactly what I do you're always making waves don't make any waves I can't let a man do something and cheat somebody and let him get by with it without saying something to him can you? I can't do that. If I see something wrong going on, I would get on a stage and call men down that were real famous men that could have helped me, and I kept wondering why they wouldn't help me. <laughs> I was condemning them for the way they lived. He draws, withdraws men from his purpose. It just, it's amazing how little people know about the Bible. And look at Job. Well, look at, uh, of course, Romans 9 says, Why doth he yet find fault if he's already ordained men to be what they are? Well, he has. And we don't find fault. We bow to God's will. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. I love verse 7. And Acts 17 is one of my favorite. When it comes to God doing everything, Acts 17. Acts 17. Paul is at, he's in Greece over in, in, uh, he's in Greece over in Corinth area and he's talking to some of these men in Athens at Mars Hill. Mars Hill is where they kept all of their gods. 
And then he says here in 17, I've turned over which Philippians, 17 and verse 26. 17 and 26. Alright. He's over here talking to these pagans. And he says here in 17, verse 26, that God has hath made of blood, in verse 26, made of one blood, all nations talk about Adam and Eve, for to dwell on the face of the earth. And here's what he's done. And hath determined. And the word determined is the word horizo. That means to bound. Remember, in everything in Kittle's dictionary, the Bible says every time you find the word horizo, it has to do with something righteous. Remember, prohorizo is the word predestinate. Pro meaning before. Horizo means to bound inside the... There's a diacritical mark. H... O R I Z O, and the Latins later on put an N on it. It means to bound inside the horizon or inside the light. The dark is over here. God has called us from darkness to light. Light is always equated with truth. Truth. So he has determined or bounded. The timing of everything. He's determined a time for everything that happens. The word time is kairos. We get the word karometer, C-H-O-R-O-M-E-T-E-R from that. A kairos meter. That is a clock that sailors use to get the exact timing uh, of the boundary of the latitude and longitude. So he's determined, he's predestined. Determined is an aorist indicative verb. Being an aorist indicative, it's past tense. So you can actually put pro before horizo in this verse determined because pro would be before and an aorist indicative would be past tense. So it's the same thing in this verse as pro horizo. It's the same thing as predestinated. So you could substitute. He has predestinated the timing of everything. And it's been before appointed. That word before appointed is the word, it's one word in the Greek, pro Tasso. Protasso. Protasso means, pro means before. Tasso means orderly arrangement. So all the timing of everything has been already preordained by God. 
of everything. What you've gone through, what I've gone through, my heart attacks, my heart surgery, triple bypass surgery, my lighter heart attack a year ago last March, my stroke that I had about five months ago. It's all preordained by God at an exact time. And He gave me sense enough, or He gave my wife sense enough, to give me those chewable aspirins immediately because she read that in a prevention book. And they called a doctor, called a hospital and got me an ambulance immediately. And I got to the hospital. But that was due to what God put in other people's minds so I would not have any personal injury or crippling problems. And I'm just as healthy now as before the stroke. So it was before appointed and the bounds of what? The bounding the boundaries of time. The bounds the horothosia. This is the word bounds. H O R O T H E S I A. It comes from Horos and Tithame. Tithame means to lay out the Horos we get the word horizo from horos. It's a common word for boundary has been laid out and the timing. This is all talking about the timing of everything has been laid out beforehand. The boundary of their habitation. Habitation is the word katokia. Kat a o. Cut okia, okay, a. It means down housing. It's a housing that's been laid out. It's just like a housing on your transmission. It operates in the transmission the way it was ordained to be operating. So he's saying, I predestinated the timing of everything. And the timing was before appointed, protasso, prearranged. And the boundary of the timing of everything, and it's the housing of it. It means a housing or a residence. Timing has a residence. Kairos, the whole verse is about the kairos. has a timing. It's housed in a certain area. And it can only happen when God wants it to happen, good or evil. And that always reminds me of Job. Job, does God create evil? Oh, yes, sir, he does. He does it especially in our lives for our good to get rid of that outer man. Look at uh, Job 14. And Job 14 backs this up. Job 14. Verse 1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You're full of trouble if you're a vessel of wrath as well as a vessel of mercy. The trials that we go through is for our good. It's not for their good. It'll put them in hell one day. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. 
We're, we're just like the flower in the sun. It'll burn up in the sun quick. He fleeth as a shadow and continueth not. You're not going to continue as you flee through this life. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one and bringest men to judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined. Karats. C-H-A-R-A-T-S. C-H-A-R-A-T-S. His days are numbered. That means to be sharp or pointed or decided or decreed. Every man's got a days he's numbered. It's appointed unto man wants to die. That word appointed Apokime means to set beforehand. There's a time for everybody to die. Whether it's in a plane crash, whether it's in a fire, whether it's getting shot and killed, whether it's, don't matter what it is, God's arranged everything. You and I can be content in that knowing when something happens bad in our life, say this is also the will of God. Then he says, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with God. Thou hast appointed his bounds, and he cannot pass over the boundary that God has made. God's doing all of this. Verse 10 is a good verse, too, there. Huh? Verse 10 is a good verse. Okay, verse 10, let's read that. But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? He's going to be where God wants him to be, either a vessel of wrath, going to hell. And people say, I don't believe in hell. Well, then you don't believe in Luke, the 16th chapter, where there was a rich man who died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Cried Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. Now, I'm just simply showing you that David had the inner man and he had the outer man. To prove he had the outer man, he committed adultery and murder. The inner man, the outer man. But he didn't do any worse than the rest of us because you, when you look on a woman, just look on her, you've committed adultery in your heart if you lust after her. That's it. And if you hate a man without cause, you've murdered him. So, how many of us have done all of that? All of us. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? I was going to get into, I'll just kind of review it real quick. We was going to get into back into David where Nathan said, The sword will never leave your house. God says, I'll bring evil upon your house, David. He's going to get rid of that outer man who wanted Bathsheba enough to kill her husband, Uriah the Hittite. So evil will always be with David. The next chapter, this is in the 12th chapter of 1 Kings. And then the next chapter, the 12th chapter, the 13th chapter, David's eldest son rapes Tamar, his daughter, that was Absalom's sister. Absalom hears about it. He plots for two years to kill Amnon. This is the sword getting rid of the outer man. Because time, time when it's time for David to die, 
He's godly by that point. And then Joab, Absalom plots for two years to kill Amnon. He kills him. And then when he kills him, he runs out of town, goes back to his mother up in Gilead. That's up in northern area of Israel. And then Joab talks David into bringing him back. Then Absalom was David's favorite. He gets proud when he gets back to the land of, gets back to Jerusalem. And he assumes to take over the kingdom because he mounts a chariot with horses there in that 15th chapter. And he assumes the kingdom without any approval from David. Of course, he's not going to get the kingdom because Solomon's got to be the next one. And he's going to build the temple of God, which was preordained before the foundation of the world. So, Absalom stands out at the gate of the city, charms the people, standing by the gate. This is Absalom, David's son, declare, and he declares war against his father, David. That's the sword, never leaving David's house. God's working on that outer man of David, just like he works on us. And he declares war against his father, David. David flees north out of Jerusalem to Mahanim. That's that's a city of refuge. He goes to Mahanim. This is Israel. It's the Sea of Galilee up here. Jordan River runs out of the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea empties into the Dead Sea and across Jordan here here's Jerusalem comes up here runs across Jordan to Mahanim settles into Mahanim has his three generals three commanders Abishai Joab and Ittai to attack these armies of of uh, Absalom when he's crossing the river a man named Shimei curses David and he's a follower of Saul who's long dead and he curses David and says you've taken my master's throne and he's throwing stones at him and Abishai's with David and he says Uncle David I'll go kill this dog and David says God's bidden him to throw stones I deserve the stones being thrown at me for what I've done so they conquer Absalom Absalom gets hung in a tree over here he's got these long tresses of hair and they hang in a tree he's not doesn't kill him but one goes back to Joab and says I saw saw Absalom hanging in a tree and Joab says why didn't you kill him he said I can't do that David said don't touch him and Joab says I'll take care of him and he goes and throws three spears through his heart and Absalom's hanged. He's in that tree. Shammai curses David, crossing Jordan. And Abishai wants to kill him. But when David's coming back across Jordan after they've defeated Absalom's armies, then Shammai says, Oh, congratulations, you won. And Abishai said, Uncle David, we need to kill him. David said, We're not going to kill him. I'll leave him 
somewhere in the future, he was throwing stones at me for a legitimate reason. Then David spares Shimei. Then later on, David kills Sheba, who's another rebel in the land. And David numbers Israel. And David is old in First Kings. And they go out and get a young woman who's beautiful. Her name is Abishag. Then Adonijah, David's fourth son, tries to take over the kingdom. And Nathan and Bathsheba go to David and say, You promised that Solomon would take the kingdom. And Abishai is trotting through the town with a chariot and horse and 50 men in front of him. And that's the way a man presented himself as king. So Bathsheba and Nathan, the prophet, go to David and say, You promised that Solomon be king. So David pronounces Solomon king. And then Adonijah, David's fourth son, realizes what he's done. And he comes and bows to Solomon. And Solomon says, you go home and behave yourself. And if you don't, we'll have you destroyed. Well, he doesn't behave himself. I can't go into the story now. I don't have any time. And he doesn't behave himself. So David sends Benaiah, who's now his commander, to kill him. Then he remembers Joab, David's nephew, his first cousin, who had been David's commander, and Joab had killed four innocent people that we know of. He he probably killed a lot more since he was so used to killing. And when he did, he went and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. That was sanctuary for a man who didn't have any serious crime like murder on him, but Joab did. And Benaiah went to kill him, and he went back to Solomon and said, he's got it hold of the horns of the altar we're not supposed to kill anybody and Solomon said unless he's committed murder and Joab has to go kill him and so he tells Joab I'm sent to kill you he said you'll have to kill me while I got my hands on the altar on the horns of the altar and he said I'll do that and he did and then there was Shimei he was supposed to do I have any time Mike I can't tell you about Shimei. I'll do that next week. Um, but he has, these are the enemies that God raised up concerning David's life because of this adultery and murder. It was God dealing with David's outer man. This was Christ and David dealing with him. So God brought tribulation and trial and persecution of his family. And guess what? Our family does the same thing to us. We try to tell them Christmas is pagan and they want to argue and fight. We try to tell them God loved Jacob and hated Esau and they want to fight over that. We tell them Easter's pagan, they hate that. We tell them God creates evil and they hate that, even though it's in the Bible. And predestination's in the Bible and they don't like that. That's majority of the world doesn't love the truth. I'll come back to David's story next week. I've got much to say about God creating evil because... I've got this paper I haven't even gone through. And the title of it 
is does God create evil? I will not pity. And I've got, I don't know how many, I need to count them. All these verses in the Old Testament, God says, I'll bring evil upon David's house. I'll bring evil upon Israel. I'll bring evil upon Babylon. I'll bring evil upon Persia. I'll bring evil upon Greece. I'll bring evil upon Rome. He says this over and over. When you don't think God creates evil, then you either don't believe the Bible or you've never read the Old Testament. He absolutely does bring evil on man. I'll come back and I'm going to go through this paper. I've given these papers out. I've learned something. A lot of people are not readers. And I don't expect people to read all the books that I suggest. A lot of people read some of them. A few people read some of them. But most people don't read most of them. And i tell you about McClinic and Strong. It's got more information than any set of books I've ever seen. i got a set here. i got a set at home upstairs. i got a set downstairs. If I want to find something out of McClinic and Strong, I don't want to rush up the stairs. Well, this is all I've got. I'm going to pray now. Father, we thank you for your truth. Teach us about this outer man that wants to have his own way. And the only way we can have peace in our life is to surrender to the inner man, not try to have our way. Let people do what they want to us. We depend on you to fight our battles. That's what you have to do. We pray that you'll strengthen the flock, strengthen the sheep, and let the people realize what they have to do. Help us to realize that if you're predestined us to be like Christ, we have to have all of this grief and sorrow. That's part of our life as believers. Thank you for these truths. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That's right. And then we ask him to help us out of something he put us in. Yeah, that's right. We have to take, Lord, you fight this battle, I can't. After you've tried to fight it so many times, you realize you can't win. There's no way to win fighting the world. Nope. Huh? That's it. Until we we got to just bow to everything he does and tell the people the truth. Not fight them. That does no good. None. Nobody ever, after you get to, even if you could whip them, they don't say, well, thank you so much for showing me all these fine things. I've never had anybody say that to me in my life. I've had people who are believers say that to me, but not rebels or vessels of wrath. They, they don't want to. They don't want to do these things. They don't care.